Hi there. Welcome to Leftovers. Sam Early and I recorded this uh, episode, the very first episode of our joint collaboration uh, for Leftovers, last night, the 29th of April, 2020. This is just a sort of prelude to it, just to explain. This new podcast is both Sam Early and I myself, uh, myself, uh, my name is Carlos, putting together this podcast uh, as a journey. And uh, this is the very first episode with our first guest. Uh, we have a lot more planned. Um, and even microphone-wise, if I look at the recording of this myself, uh, I will be getting a better microphone. And of course, after this COVID crisis, I'll be able to get better equipment. But for now, I'll have to make do <laughs> with changing microphones that I've got at home to see which one is the best. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, thank you for joining us. Okay, welcome to our very, very first episode of Leftovers. Um, it's a podcast that will discuss uh, left-leaning politics, but not only. It's more uh, themed about the Green New Deal of Europe, um, but also ideas for tomorrow. Could be creative ideas, uh, business ideas, whatever can contribute towards a better world uh, we would like to explore. And from my side, uh, my name is uh, Carlos. Uh, the idea from my side is to learn about these things. I have not a lot of, a lot of knowledge uh, on these subjects, but um, I have an open sponge brain and I would, like to, I would like to absorb all the information that I can. So that's my sort of goal for this, uh, this podcast and, um, and hopefully people who watch it um, will get the same sort of information that we do. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Samuli. <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah, my name is Samuli and actually I have the same aim. I also feel like there is much to learn and this is a good time to sort of observe, observe more, more information. Yeah. And I think this is like a best, best way, like easy way to do it. So yeah, yeah I'm looking forward for the upcoming episodes. Excellent. And, and of course, as you can hear, Samuli is a native Finn. Um, so we will even have uh, Finnish guests uh, on in the future, I'm sure, where the language will be in Finnish. And at the end of the podcast, we might swap some thoughts of what, what was discussed in, in both Finnish and English. Um, so, you know, feel free to jo join us on this journey, regardless of whether you're Finn or not Finn. Uh, we're, we're, we're on this journey together. Um, it's not only about those subjects. We want to discuss all sorts of things that come up uh, it could be for example the pentagon announced uh, yesterday that ufos are now officially real and that's a very deep subject <laughs> so, especially if you've been watching x-files in the 90s yeah, exactly exactly so we will be on a journey to discover all these things um, our first guest uh, on this very first podcast of leftovers uh, is a gentleman called bryce uh, bryce montagne I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And Bryce is joining us from Luxembourg. Um, and it's great to have you, Bryce. Welcome. Hello. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, yeah. So it's Brice Montagne. Uh, Montagne. Brice. Brice. Uh, Brice Montagne. Sorry, that's my English, <laughs> no my English heritage <laughs> kicking in. Sorry, Brice. In fact, Brice sounds much better than Bryce, to be honest. Okay, well, I'm, uh, I'll start using it this way then. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Brice, uh, just before you, uh, I let you uh, have a bit more of the floor, so to speak. Um, Brice, 
Brees has met us through a movement called DM25, but also through uh, what is now known as the Green New Deal of Europe, uh, the GNDE, which we, the whole background of this podcast is to, as laymen, in other words, myself and Samuel, we, we're not scientists, we're not knowledgeable of the Green New Deal, we know what we, what we want the future to be, but this is the journey, this is where we start, this is the very first steps of this journey of how we learn what is the Green New Deal, what difference can it make in our lives, and what can we look forward to, what should we be thinking of, what are the ideas we can come up with that will make the world a better place and that's equitable for everybody on this planet, um, and not just the few people that can afford everything, you know. Um, so, um, uh, Brees is our first guest, and, and I'm actually happy to invite Brees as our first guest, simply because... <laughs> I'm quite an admirer of his uh, activism, um, and I've, I've prepared a whole bunch of questions, so I'm going to just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to just quickly flip here and see if I can open my question list. Um, here we go. So, Brees, uh, if you could tell us sort of your background, uh, how you became an activist, uh, and sort of just where you, you, you've developed this need to want to sort of activate people around you to to some sort of goal? Um, well, it, it's a story I, I tell everywhere I go. Um, when, when I was 15 years old, I had a discussion with my grandfather, and, and you've got to know that my grandfather was born in Berlin. Uh-huh, okay. In the uh, 1920s. Oh, wow, so yeah. <laughs> my okay. my great-grandfather, was um, the representative for the French Press Association in Berlin in the 20s and uh, early 30s. So you have some idea of uh, what my great-grandfather saw coming in Germany. Wow, yes. I can imagine. And, and it's very interesting I because can't actually um, imagine. We, we, have, um, we have these letters, we have these um, telegrams of my great-grandfather warning newspapers in France, something bad is going on. Wow. Something very bad is going on. And we have the answers from his uh, hierarchy telling him, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's, uh, it's uh, my, wow. My, my mother always wanted us to write a, a, a novel or a TV series about um, um, his life and how he tried to to warn the uh, French um, um, politicians and uh, and and citizens of what was going on across the border. Right. So my question to my grandfather when I was fifteen years old was generally, if you knew that fascism was on the rise, why didn't you do anything? Yeah. And he looked at me and he told me, what makes you think that you would have done something? Hmm. Because it's easy, obviously. Yes, yeah. To, to judge uh, oh, yes. from I, the future, I knowing in, how... Sorry, I grew up in apartheid South Africa, so I often <laughs> ask these very same questions of myself. Why didn't I do more? So I, and, Yeah, I and, and obviously when, when you are um, looking from uh, the future, it's easy. You know, um, mm. that sure. was the position yeah um but it's actually way harder to um be in the present and be faced with difficult decisions 
because when you try uh, to change the world, the first thing you're facing is hostility. Mm. Even from um, very close relatives. Sure. What are you doing? Yeah. And, and uh, when I saw um, that um, Europe was disintegrating, that the far right was on the rise again, um, that many, many Europeans were uh, suffering under the grip of austerity, mm -hmm. and that climate change was going to make all of this way worse every passing year. Yep. Um, that conversation with my grandfather came back to my mind. And I figured, I figured this is our 1930s. Yeah. And that now it's my, it's my time to answer this. Yeah. And if I don't answer this, I will never be able to look at my children in the eyes and tell them I didn't do everything I could. Wow. Jeez, that's deep. <laughs> what, was your, what was the first thing that, that, that you did? That when, you, when um, you had this thought that, I mean, I mean, I didn't think of, I mean, I was, I scoured the net and thought, who is sort of, who is out there that I could join to, to do something? What started you? What did you start doing? Um, the, the first thing I did was, because um, the first thing I, I cared about was the lack of um, solidarity in Europe yes. and the lack of um, and European is, democracy. Unfortunately. So I wanted to raise um, awareness about that. So yeah. what I did was that I, I, I bought a giant European flag oh. <laughs> and I ran <laughs> with this flag on a pole across the city, okay. uh, hoping to get attention from some people, which I did. Actually, I met a lot of cool people with that. So I tried to organize a few demonstrations with that and it didn't work at all. Yeah. Um, and two years after that, there was a movement called Nuit Debout. Uh, so the night standing, literally, uh, which was um, an echo of uh, the Indignados or Occupy Wall Street. Right. So I started that in Luxembourg. Okay. And it, it worked actually quite interestingly. I mean, we had like, we gathered on the main square and um, we had up to 20, 30 people top uh on the best days and then again i met a, quite a lot of uh, interesting people um some of them i'm still active with uh, within gym 25 right now oh excellent and some of them actually helped me uh create the first dsc in luxembourg city wow right wow that's cool uh, so these were my first attempts and uh they were very small no, that's interesting. That's hell of interesting. And what is your, um, what are the big sort of, um, I, I want to call them strikes, but that's not quite the word, the revolts Action. or actions. Yes. What, what are the big actions that you've participated in? So the, the, the biggest actions that I organized um, were in 2018 and 2019. Right. Um, so 2018 was a turning point for me. I, I was in um, in Scotland, and 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 prior to this, there were these massive fires in Portugal and and Greece, and hundreds of people died. And 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 the and in two thousand eighteen, there was also massive fires in Sweden. Mm 
And Sweden was so ill-prepared for that that oh. they had to call from southern countries for help. The same wow. southern countries upon which they uh, forced austerity in the European Council. Oh. So the southern countries had to cut budget in their firefighters department. Oh. And they still had to go and help those who were not equipped with the uh, appropriate equipment to fight massive forest fires. Wow. And I was in northern Scotland and the, the meadows were so dry yes. and that um, uh, farmers had to put their uh, livestock in the same fields uh, to try and, um, and provide them with the, with the grass they needed to feed. And, and forests in Scotland, northern Scotland, were so dry that there were signs uh, displayed saying a careful risk of fire which is something that I usually see in southern France uh, where my grandmother lives yes and when I came back I was okay now it's every day huh. uh, it, I can't just let things go the way they go um, and so um, that was the, your call to action yeah that, that that was when um something really changed and and so i i got in touch with uh people who were starting to organize spontaneous demonstrations for climate in france and mm. belgium and we had a meeting in early september uh, late september and and we had this discussion with this um this activist uh, whose name is benjamin ball and um and we came to two conclusions. First, if we want this movement to be successful, we need to find goals. If we want it to be successful, we need to internationalize it right away. And that's what we did. I, when I came back to Luxembourg, I started contacting, contacting people around me and we, all starting, we started organizing these spontaneous demonstrations for climate. And at the time, I was pushing for a, a strike for climate. And um, in my mind, it was a workers' strike. And little by little, we kept on calling people who were interesting, interested about this topic. And we got in touch with a movement called Fridays for Future that was okay. just starting in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. And who was also talking about a climate strike. And, and when the connections were made, uh, we were able to set up uh, the core of an international coordination. Wow. And in November, in late November, I remember this discussion very clearly. We had this uh, call with Benjamin and we said, you know what? We need to kickstart a one single day on which we focus all our strength. And, and so we had these calls uh, with Fridays for Future and we discussed the idea and we decided to have the 15th of March, which was the biggest action, uh, the first global climate strike on the same day. So in Luxembourg, the, the biggest demonstrations we made were, the first one was 600 to 1,000 people. Hmm. The second was 2,000 people. Um, uh, that was 1,000, we were between 1,000 and 500 and 2,000 and it was, already the biggest climate march that ever ever took place in the country. 
And then on 15th of March, we had 15,000 people, mm. wow. which was by far the biggest uh, climate demonstration that ever took place in the country. And uh, it was around 2% of the population, I think, mm. which is, uh, is which was the yeah. highest turnout according to the size of the population in the world, actually. Mm. And... Um, and after that, I kept working for the second global climate strike that was in May. And um, that was a wonderful memory because we blocked uh, the bridge that leads to the European institution area in Luxembourg. Right. And no demonstration ever managed to, to do this. We were the first ones to ever manage to block this bridge. Uh, we had around 2,000 people and it was an amazing day and participating in creating this global uh, coordination and putting millions of people in the street Excellent. on the wow. same day for the same thing is by far the most amazing achievement that I was ever given the honor to participate in. Wow. What are the, what is the the, uh, how can I say, the most bizarre thing or the funniest thing that's happened during any of these strikes? I mean, where, for example, I mean, if, if I think back just a couple of months, looking at the French yellow vest strikes, etc., and seeing firemen standing in front of the people with police hitting the fire, I mean, it was just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. It was, I don't know, all sorts of, like, emotions came across because these are first responders, these are Wow, I, I just even now I, I struggle to think of how it must have thought being stood standing there in your uniform that you're proud of your your firehouse, your unit, your colleagues that you stand and go into fires with, and then you're facing these people that are supposed to be peacekeepers and guarding the people. You know, it was just a bizarre sort of scenario. What what have you seen that you think is either bizarre or even funny where? Uh, somebody was uh, said something in front of a, a group that was quite hilarious or I'm just trying to find either the bizarreness or a bit of the funny side of, of a serious subject. Well, I think that was on this bridge. The bridge. Yeah. Because um, we were there with, um, you know, with people uh, of all ages um, down yes. to like 12 or 14 years old. Yes. These kids, man, they are so... Oh, our kids are... Oh, they're phenomenal. They are and, phenomenal. And, and at first, we were just blocking one lane of the bridge. Yeah. So you, you have a four-lane bridge. And, um, and, and little by little, we pushed to block two entire lanes. So effectively blocking all the traffic in one direction. Yeah. And, and, you, and you saw these... 12 year olds children standing so strong and determined in front mm. of uh, trucks yeah. and buses uh, saying you will not pass hear what we have to say wow and um, that is that is and, and, inspiring and, and, yeah and and and, and um and I, I was going up and down the line all the time to um make sure everything was okay and and some of these things were most of these things actually were um, taking place um, without any instructions. People were just spontaneously, spontaneously. doing it. Organic. Yeah, yeah that's nice. And, uh, and so much so that the, the police was starting to 
um, to step back and, and we ended up occupying the entire two lanes and blocking effectively uh, the whole traffic going in this direction. And, um, and that was so, not, it, was, it was smooth and it seemed yeah. unstoppable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because every time the police would come and push us back and say, you can't do that, you can't do that, we, we would do it again. And, and they were so brave. That's, uh, and, uh, what made you get involved with the GNDE? What brought you into the Green New Deal of Europe? Well, after, um, after the 24th of May, I resigned, um, I mean, not resigned, I stepped down from the national coordination in the climate movement in Luxembourg and from the international coordination uh, for several reasons. Um, the first one being um, when you step down, you will offer other people to step up and gain sure. the skills, uh, yeah, sure. which is utterly important. Yes, it's, it's, it's um, organic, yes. The, the second reason for that is uh, that um, we lacked a plan. So the climate movement knows what it's fighting against, but it doesn't know what it's fighting for. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and sociology and history tells us that when people know what is the world after, then they know what they're fighting for and their movement is way more powerful. Right, exactly. And I also noticed that um, our sociology was mainly focused on upper middle class, which doesn't allow to find a tipping point, a critical mass. Right. So my conclusion was that we needed to work for a progressive proposition, a transformative proposition for climate, social and democratic justice, tackling also, um, you know, gender inequalities, um, yeah, for sure. racism social, and these yeah. kind of things. And also, I mean, if you, you, look at the, I, you look at like in the United States, they've got this, uh, and it's, it's very prevalent now during this COVID-19 crisis because you have these people of color in neighborhoods where they don't have access to clean food, organic food, nice fruit and vegetables. They only buy from, uh, uh, how can I say, these small uh, kiosk shops that have pre-packed meals and fast food, et cetera. So they, they eat unhealthily. So they get obese because they can't afford to go to the big shopping centers, which have got organic food. So you're sort of trapped in your neighborhood, if you like. And through that poverty, if you look at COVID-19 and how it's affecting people in America, it's mostly those poor neighborhoods that are being affected the most. And I think that's part of this whole, if you look at the bigger picture in terms of climate change, the people who are most vulnerable will be the first ones that are hit the hardest. So there's definitely a social aspect to the inequalities in terms of climate change that is very much, uh, that needs to be addressed. Oh yes, absolutely. And when we, um, we speak about at the moment, uh, we speak about people on the front line. Well, regarding climate change, we've been talking about frontline communities for years already. Yeah. And we know that the frontline communities are people in the global south, yeah. poor people in the global south, and also poor people um, in northern countries. Yeah. And, and, and that is why it is 
unimaginable, unimaginable to try and have a green transformative plan without a red transformative plan. Um, we, we had this, I remember we had this training, um, I think it was in September, about the Green New Deal in Brussels. And someone asked the question, okay, so you're presenting the Green New Deal to someone and this person answers, well, what is that? Is this just a way of implementing socialism? What do you answer to this person? And my answer was, yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, we have to say it. Yeah. The Green New Deal is not a step forward to the direction of post-capitalism, then it's yeah. not a Green New Deal. Yeah. It's the old deal. That's exactly what the European Commission is proposing. The, propo yeah. the European Commission is proposing a Green Deal for Europe. And yeah. they dropped the new. Yes. That's, that's not a chance. They yeah. dropped the new because that's the old social contract that they try to paint in green and sell back to us thinking we don't understand. No, we, we need a new social contract. We need yeah. a new deal. Yeah. And this new deal means we have to change the rules. Yeah, I mean, often when people talk, I mean, if I'm talking to somebody and they say, oh, you're talking about socialism again. I said, well, if you think about it, like, let's use this ongoing crisis as an example. Who gets bailed out first? Massive corporations. And, and if you, think, you look at America's example, it was $6 trillion. Trillion. I mean, do you know how much that is? <laughs> that's, that's, what is it? A thousand billion, uh, 6,000 billion, which is, mm -hmm. which is, 6,000 billion, which is a number that it is nearly in, inimaginable. But they were bailed out first. Cruise ship companies, et cetera, et cetera. All of these massive Wall Street companies were bailed out first, which is <laughs> socialism, but for the rich. So if we apply the same rule to everybody, but of course that's not the thing, because if you apply the rule to everybody, then, then they're not going to be as eager to work for your minimum wage. <laughs> so... So it's a, it's it's quite a, it's quite a thing. It's quite a thing to uh, to absorb. Um, it, it's but it also has, but it has also shown how important the state is. Yes, because it, we need, it because we be. need the, health, yeah, because we need the healthcare. And suddenly yeah. we realize that actually it's like the well-being of everybody is not just yourself. That take care of yourself, your body is your temple. That yeah. kind of all neoliberal neoliberalist slogans are just somehow like melts away because yeah. you realize that we are we are interconnected yeah. in so many levels that we need to help each other to help ourselves yeah. and somehow this COVID actually brings it brings it out, which is exactly. super cool. Yeah, and if you think about the cause, the cause was this disease <clears throat> that jumped from animal to human being. Yeah. And why did it jump yeah. from animal to, in my opinion, why did it jump from animal to human being? Is because we've been abusing animals. Yeah. Because if you go back two and 300 years, there was a small plot of land. We had two cows, six chickens that laid eggs, some sheep, etc. You know, it was an organic scenario. We planted some food and that's how we ate. Now you've got a farm that has 16,000 cows in a row of 100 meters yeah. jammed together in cages. They're fed you know, without moving and then they killed and you know, it's just- And fertilizers are pumped in the yeah, ground to, ex exactly. to get the so crop. Yeah. We're, abu but we're abusing like, animals and that's yes. why this jumped across. And the so, soil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if we, if we think about the Green New Deal, we have to address all of these things. And when we can, we won't have 
diseases jumping like a bull because we'll be respecting all of these boundaries between animal and human life. Um, I'm not saying everybody must stop eating meat, although that would be very preferable. I don't. But <laughs> what I am saying is that if you do, let's have less of it. Just yeah, that's exactly. All. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. anyway, sorry. Uh, sorry to... <laughs> no, I mean, but you're true. But it's true. It's true. Uh, you're right. I mean, um, you're right. And, and it's, it's, it's correct to tackle this issue. Yeah. When we say, I'm sorry, I'm just going to close the door. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Uh, I'm thinking that this uh, recording uh, is limited uh, in time, ah. but let's just see. We might at, at least it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we say uh, that the Green New Deal must um, end capitalism, it's not just a figure of speech. Yeah. Capitalism relies on perpetual growth. Yeah. It cannot live without perpetual growth. Yeah. Because you need to feed stakeholders with dividends all the time and to yeah. uh, counter the fact that um, the uh, working class is striving to have a decent way of life uh, well the upper class needs to push for more growth all the time yes so capitalism is absolutely inadequate to organize a targeted degrowth or a post growth uh society yeah they can't do that yeah i was and, I and was this listening. is why we say that Sorry. we must um take some as much of um the economy outside of the realm of the free market yes because the purpose should not be to make money and to make as much money as possible but to give a usual mean to things and we need to um uh, put uh, companies in the hands of their workers because they don't need to have massive dividends and buy a new yacht. And exactly. we don't need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, so to organize degrowth, we need to make sure that it is economically possible in a system. And that system cannot be capitalism. Yeah, yeah. I was just listening to Dr. Bush uh, on a podcast two or three days ago. And he had said that there was a study in the United States where they got together sort of 4,000 farmers and they interviewed them and asked them how many harvests are left on this planet Earth in the future. And they said about 70 years. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's how many harvests of vegetables there are for the next, for the rest, 70 years are left of harvesting. That's all. That's just, that was like, what? <laughs> My brain just did not understand that. Like, why isn't, why aren't we slowing down? Why isn't there change yet? <laughs> We're still just on the train and we don't want to slow down. And oh. So, Brees, uh, in terms of, of the way forward, how do you envision, I mean, it's very difficult for you to say this is how it's going to change, but how do you envision change happening? Where does it start? I mean, obviously it starts with the movement and et cetera, but how? I mean, just organically, what do you envision? I know it's a difficult Step question one. to ask. Yeah. Step one, go to your neighbors. Ask them, were they fired because of the lockdown? Uh, are they in a difficult um, economical position? Uh, are they able to pay their rent or to pay 
um, basic goods such as uh, grocery shopping uh, and do go and ask in all your streets in all your neighborhoods and those who need help or those who want to help gather their uh, informations and create a network of solidarity in your street during confinement meet with these people whether it is online or whether you meet in small groups while maintaining physical distance and start talking right now, not in next month, not next semester, to start talking right now about what the world after should look like. Yes. And those who cannot afford to pay their rent at the end of the month or at the end of next month, help them not pay it. Sure. Organize a rent strike. Yeah. Say, we don't want to pay anymore. We are bailing out big corporations without any, any demands Criteria. in return. Yeah, I mean, here in Finland, we- Why been... should we pay? Yeah. Why should we pay? They, yeah. they, they, they just risk getting a little less richer. We risk not having a roof over our head. So this is the way forward. The way forward is to, um, is to refuse uh paying what is expected for us to pay and and when they and when they say what do you want we say well we want something basic we want the emergency an emergency payment for every european citizen so we are able to stay at home during confinement because believe me confinement is not over yet yeah. we wanted a, a basic right to a decent housing a housing that is um um, energetically neutral so we need a ref complete overhaul uh, of um, the housing yeah, retrofitting. Uh, the housing yeah, yeah. Uh, the housing um, in Europe yeah With, which creates and, jobs and because people have to go and do the retrofitting <laughs> yeah and and they will they will they will tell you but how do you intend to fund it and then we say well we need to have a common debt issue by the uh, ECB why do we print money only for big corporations why don't we print it for the people yeah. and when they say yeah but you know that's not a balance it's for free you're just giving it for free yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well, well how do you get money back and then they say well you know what you know how we can get money back we lose 1000 fucking billion euros every single year because of european tax evasion yeah that's where the money is right now the European big corporations are planning to give away 359 billion euros worth of dividend hmm. while people are starving. This is where the money is. Yeah, that's where the money so is. So when we yeah. start such a radical thing as a rent strike, then we will have the legitimacy to say these things. Yeah. And we will have the power struggle to say these things, but we have to start revolting. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And. Uh, in terms of um, in terms of uh, actions that you've that you've done in the past, like I remember, in, in was it January or February you did the billionaires um, action in Luxembourg? That was supposed to take place in late March. Oh, it was supposed to take place. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, because <laughs> uh, we shared that as well. And I mean, yeah. in a perfect world, we could have jumped on a ferry and in a train or something. And but uh, yeah. But you can organize the rent strike in Helsinki. Yeah. But I mean, we're, we're quite lucky, well, in certain ways, because we're quite a socialist based 
country as it is. So uh, people who are unemployed still get unemployment benefits in terms of healthcare and a salary, etc. So we're quite lucky in that regard, being quite socialist in that way. There are uh, always people who slip through the crisis yes. system. Yeah. Hey, hey, I lost, I've lost my business and all sorts of things. So I, I totally get it. Yeah. And totally the, the system is not meant to um, take on such a massive crisis as the one we are dealing with right now. And this is just the first step before climate change delivers more pandemics and more oh, yeah. famines and more This is war. just COVID-19. Climate change is going to say soon, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. going on to the street and looking for people who might be in a difficult situation as you are is always worth your time. Mm. Yeah. And, and then going to neighborhoods in which you know that the situation is harder is always worth your time. Yes. Politics is not getting elected and being paid for what you do. Yes. Politics is going out there, talking to people, creating a social fabric strong enough to face any crisis that we have faced in the coming years. This is politics. You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm guilty that I was up until 2000 and 2014 or so, I was quite uh, immune to politics. I mean, I was a rock singer in a metal band. Uh, I mean, you know, I, uh, I was anti-politicians. I was anti-establishment uh, in that way. I wrote songs. I have a song that I wrote called Eco Killers in 1991 <laughs> about corporations raping the planet for profits. And uh, I was talking to my old bandmate on Facebook yesterday and he was like, geez, you were like a it was like a prophecy. <laughs> I was like, no, no, it wasn't. But, but I was sort of, I, I ignored politics. I thought they were politicians were useless, overpaid people that didn't have a, a, any idea of what a working a hard job was like. Ever. With that. Uh, I need to go for a while. Yep. So I, uh, I, I sort of, how can I say, I'm one of the guilty ones that stood back and thought that government and politics would make the right decisions for all of us, et cetera, et cetera. And I know there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people like I was that didn't want to have the conversation. We were caught up in our lives and music and whatever. So we, we sort of ignored what was on the outside looking in. And I woke up just on 2014 or so. And I'm just wondering, how do we re I mean, I know that you're talking about the neighborhood in, t in terms of from a grassroots perspective, but this, with this podcast and our social media that we're going to hopefully develop, we want to reach out and, and try and engage and have these conversations because people might not have been able to have this kind of talk with somebody that might not think the same way. I had a, a guy come and work on the house here um, last year, and he was from sort of the right wing. And, uh, and we started to have a conversation. And in a way, we found quite a few things that we thought in common, you know, that uh, when, I, when I say that, he felt that the EU was uh, not a democratic body. And I agreed with him. Uh, having said that, I'm a, I'm a fan of the EU as a community sharing ideas and buying from each other and the border. I'm, I'm a, definitely a European fan of the project itself. But the democracy, the people that are there are not all voted in the, the lobbies, the, the committees that are formed are professionals that are hired and lobbyists, etc. So it's not really democratic. And we found a lot of common ground 
having these discussions. And I'm wondering if through ideas of talking about it like this, I'm hoping that to engage with those kinds of people because I'm not anti, uh, what I'm trying to say is that I, I don't judge them too harshly because I have a feeling that a lot of the pain they're feeling and feeling marginalized and left behind and ignored and whatever, and they're just caught up in messaging that is, which is more nationalist without realizing that some of the things they want are quite the same. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm just saying that there are some commonalities. How do we engage? How do we reach out? I think the point is when, when we, for example, when people get engaged in France yeah. and, and want to quote, save France. Yeah. They don't mean that they want to save the French Fifth Republic. That's not the point. Mm. I mean, I don't think anybody in France wants to save the Fifth Republic except for the conservative right. Yeah. They want to help the people of France. We don't want to save the European Union as it is. There's no, no point. The European Union as it is should not be saved. It should be completely ditched and replaced by something else. Yes. Something we are fighting for the people of Europe. Yeah, yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. And what we ask people to help us do is to help the people of Europe. That's what we ask them to do. To create a working class solidarity across the German working, working class, French working class, Finnish working class, Swedish, Danish working class, Italian working class. This is what we need. Yeah. Because if you think about it, some people tell you, okay, you know what the issue is? Once upon a time in Finland, we had monetary independence. And now that we have entered the Eurozone, we have lost that. Mm. And we are forced, we uh, good, honest Finnish taxpayers uh, to pay for the lazy Italian taxpayers, lazy Spanish taxpayers and French taxpayers and so on and so forth. So if we would just regain our monetary independence, we would be able to do whatever the hell we want. And our uh, enterprises would be better off. And some people on the left say, you know what? If we had this monetary independence, well, we would be able to do whatever the hell we want for social justice. Well, in 1914, Germany had massive uh, um, commercial uh, trade surpluses towards the rest of Europe. It kind of seems, um, you know, familiar, no? Yeah. However, by the time France and Italy um, had complete monetary independence. They could do whatever the hell they wanted. But they didn't raise wages. Why? Because if they were to raise wages, then they would be in a bad, um, um, uh, in a bad position regarding their competitor, which was Germany. And Germany didn't want to raise wages because if they would, they would they lose knew. their um, yeah. trade regard towards France. 
So when they were not raising wages, uh, um, company bosses would uh, tell their employees, you can't, we can't because of the German workers. No, we can't because of the French workers. Mm. And competition was so fierce that to solve this competition, they sent millions of people um, butcher each other in the trenches. Mm. And after that, uh, John Maniard Keynes said, we shouldn't do that anymore. When you have trade surpluses, you can only have it uh, by putting another country into a public deficit. There is no other way around. For you to have a surplus, you need to make sure that someone else is losing. Yeah. So we should ditch this logic altogether. And what did the French do? That, what did the English do? We punished the Germans to recover our trade surplus. And more interestingly, in the 30s, we had a progressive government in France called the Front Populaire. Then again, we had complete monetary independence. But that didn't stop us from butchering each other just a few years after that again. Because the ruling class will never hesitate to send us butcher each other if this means that they can gain the upper hand in the trade war. And this will happen again when we will have um, tensions on supply lines for food because of climate change, they will never hesitate to send us kill each other again. What do you think of this, this Euro divide that's now between the North and South? Well, this is just again, the same <clears throat> thing. That's the same story. The only way to avoid that is to have change in as many countries at the same time. And not to think about the interest of your country, but to think of the interest of your social class. Because let's be clear, the interest of the French billionaire is not the same as mine. Hmm. The interest of the Luxembourgish billionaire is not the same as mine. If they are well off, there is no guarantee that I will be well off. That's what they've been telling us for centuries. No, that's the carrot. <laughs> Follow that's the, the carrot. carrot and yeah. that's not the case yeah we will be well off when many countries at the same time will change their ideological framework and that's what happened after world war ii after world war ii we had a major shift in the ideological framework and what happened we forgave germany we did the wise thing we didn't punish the one who was on its knees we erased Germany's debt. And that gave us the chance to start over with solidarity. And this is exactly what we must do now. Be um, in a solidarity position with the Italian workers, with the Spanish workers, and even the German and Finnish workers. When we will be able to establish such a consciousness of class belonging, over national belonging, we will have a chance of victory. Fantastic. I've really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining us. I see Samily is not here at the moment, but uh, I just wanted to, uh, is there anything that you want to, to bring up before we end the interview? 
Um, there is um, one quote that I absolutely adore um, from a German philosopher and um, playwright. Uh, his name was Bertolt Brecht. And he said that the one who fights may lose, but the one who stopped fighting already lost. Mm. So whatever we do, there is no chance. I mean, there is no certainty that we will have victory. Yeah. But the only chance for us to reach victory is to give it a shot. It's very true. That's very true. We've got a lot to fight for. This world is, uh, it really is literally burning everywhere you look. South Absolutely. America, governments are toppled, leaders who are democratic or overthrown. Uh, it's just everywhere you look, everywhere, even in Africa, you've got massive, massive clouds of locusts sort of destroying massive areas of land that poor people already need to be farming. You've got, I mean, I mean, look at this crisis that's happening to us and, uh, and we'll be going, I mean, more and more around the world. It's a, uh, it should, hopefully this is a moment that we all take to wake up and say, hang on a second. There really is a, a moment now that we can uh, make the most of and make the change that we need. Absolutely. Thank you, Brice. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you us. very much. Thank you kindly. Uh, and I hope, well, I'm sure we'll chat more again in the future. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, so we're, we're back with you on Leftovers. Uh, that was our interview with Brees. Uh, was fascinating. He's a, a very interesting uh, gentleman. and uh, For sure he is. Oh, that was so great. And he told some great stories. Uh, very inspiring. And I hope that inspires uh, many people, no matter what you think of in terms of political spectrum. I mean, I think the whole thing about left and right and everything is slowly fading into a most of us and <laughs> the top percentage of the world you know for sure that's well put yeah because because there's so much buy this and buy them and the next door neighbors and the next door neighbors and become and have all <laughs> of that business and you know and it all started there and it just made me think of you know it's not so long ago it's a hundred years yeah now. yeah exactly and uh, it's just been a, on a trajectory making more money 10 percent every year 10 percent every year 10 percent every year and that's why people have hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, yeah. And if, and if one day there'll be five trillionaires and the rest of us will all be <laughs> nothing. And we'll be like, yeah. oh, no, well, are we going to get anything for free? And they will say, hey, we've been <laughs> saying this for all these years. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I have some other things I wanted to chat about. Uh, what's happening yep. locally, uh, local news-wise uh, in Finland? Uh, I think... I think most of the talk like in everywhere else is about COVID and Corona and COVID-19 and when are we going to open the schools and when is going back to work and all that stuff. I mean, I don't really want to talk about <laughs> more about the COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't really want to, but um, anything else interesting locally that you know of? Nothing that comes to my mind actually now. Yeah. 
I'm just having a look here. Internationally, um, I, I, I found this uh, quote quite funny that I saw on Twitter, and it said there, the guy said that he wrote, you know, two years ago in America, the Democratic Party was like, but Russia's hacking our elections and Russia's bad and Russia and Putin is controlling Trump and he's an asset of the Russian government. And, and now all of a sudden it's changed because the Republicans are like, yeah, but China is controlling the government and China is taking the world. We've got to stop China. And, uh, and, the, and in the same tweet he wrote, but the rest of the world is saying, but America is taking over the world and America is... And it's just like, what? Oh my word. So I thought that was quite a funny tweet too. And it pretty much highlights what's happening in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like tectonic blades uh, are like yeah. moving at the moment. And I'll tell you one thing I, I, I read um, in the, I don't know if it was the Intercept or Common Dreams, but I read an article about how uh, America was buying all the PPE equipment and things from all over the world. And, what and is PPE? P, uh, personal protection equipment, you know, masks, oh, yeah, gloves, yes. face yes. shields and clothing and all that. They were buying like massive amounts from all over the world. You know, just plane loads, plane loads, plane yes, loads. Yes. But instead of distributing it, they've been giving it to corporations to sell yeah. and to auction to the different states. And I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where did you read this? I, I, I'll find it for you. Yeah, very good. But I'll yeah, I, re I remember when I was reading some kind of like small interview of the, the mayor of New York, who yeah. was super pissed about this situation that... Uh, Cuomo, the, yeah. Yeah, that, that actually the, the situation is like that. For example, if you need to like give extra air, extra oxygen for a patient, yeah. they're, they're really like auctioning it out. You know, yeah. the people who, the companies who still have them. Yeah. And he was like, what the fuck is this? We, yeah. we need them now. Just, yeah. Can't you just give it to us? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the, I mean, the point is, is that the American government, yeah. who's supposed to represent the people, yeah. were buying all of these things and then yeah. handing it over to corporations to auction it out. Yeah, and whoever gets more. Just to make profit. So what were they buying it with? Yeah. That money was taxpayers' money. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, what? My head was just not wanting to understand that. So I just, I actually saw that on Majority Report with Sam Cedar on his podcast, on his uh, YouTube channel. I watched that yeah. uh, discussion. Um, that's where I've heard about it first. And then I looked it up online and I just can't remember which, uh, which, which, uh, a news site it was, but I can definitely find it. I'm sure you can Google it, you'll find it. Yeah. It'll be Intercept or Common Dreams or um, one of those guys. Uh, but I did see it on Sam Cedar's show uh, and I thought to myself, holy moly, I was actually on a walk. <laughs> um, okay, so to get away from the serious dark things of this world, um, I did find it funny that the Pentagon announced that UFOs are now real. Um, and the reason why is because, I mean, most of my childhood, I used to read and watch things like Twil uh, Twi not Twilight Zone, although that was one, but uh, X-Files, etc. And yeah. you're like, oh yeah, surely it must exist in this Area 51. And, you know, and, uh, and now 
Well, actually, they've announced that in the middle of all of this craziness that's happening around the world. Just by the way, uh, it's true. <laughs> but 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 what did they say? Because UFO actually is what what does it mean? It's like unidentified flying object. Flying object. So yeah. they're not saying that they're, they're not saying aliens are real. Yeah, yeah, or like extraterrestrial life is. But happening. between the lines, they're saying that there are aircraft that they're unable to follow in our fastest yeah. fighter jets that can fly the speed of sound, twice the speed of sound. And that the objects that they were trying to follow can change direction and go faster than they've ever imagined. And, and I mean, read between the lines. Yeah. And um, but what, what yes. is this? When it, was this BBC or? No, no, this, this was on all the news uh, day yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. Not in, not in the finish. <laughs> yeah, not, not in, in the, the finish. No, not in not the finish. finish. Yeah. I can just imagine on Ole. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, let's look, let's, before we end this episode, um, it's a bit yeah. longer than, than I had anticipated. Oh, it's actually not. It's, it's on time. Uh, I've got these points in my notes here that look, let's look at 2020 so far. Yeah. Uh, it started off, um, it's a, you know, World War Three almost started with, uh, with uh, sort of frictions between China, America, or North yeah. Korea and America. Uh, Evo Morales, who was a very democratic um, uh, uh, leader in, uh, in South America, uh, who had brought his population completely from out of poverty into a thriving little country, was overthrown. And yeah. of course, there's lots of talk about it uh, being uh, the CIA, etc., instigated mm. all of that. Australia was on fire. I mean, literally, yeah. Australia was on fire. It was, and wait, was horrifying that? to watch. And Amazon was on fire last year. That's right, last year. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I um, remember I was in the one of the cl the climate strikes, and there was this. I got handed a, a newsletter that said like the wrong Amazon is on fire, <laughs> <laughs> and I found that hilarious. Yes, I do too. Yeah. Uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, I don't mean if you're a basketball fan, he died. Um, all sport across the world has been cancelled yeah. for the corona. Um, and all bef like performing artists also. Yeah, millions of people are sick and yeah. thousands and thousands are dying. Uh, the world is in lockdown. Um, Carol Baskin killed her husband, which is Tiger King, which everybody's been talking about. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Um, Bernie Sanders was a candidate for president. A democratic socialist was literally this close before <laughs> yeah. the establishment said uh -uh, no, no 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 you want us to pay more taxes We're gonna put, stop his, his his shot at this so he was uh literally cheated and i wouldn't say that lightly um king jong-un might be dead or at yeah. least in a comatose state um and it's not even may yet it will be just finishing april <laughs> that's crazy Crazy times, my friend. Crazy 2020 times. 2020 is just literally steamrolling. Yeah. It's it's both scary and heartbreaking, but one wonders what will it change. Yeah. Because so far, you look at the, uh, the 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 bailouts that are being given to massive corporations and stuff. None of it seems to be. I mean, mo most of those corporations like five months ago took massive dividends for their shareholders yeah. but now they're being bailed out and then I mean, there's yeah even finland there's companies that are like, uh, giving the dividends still 
Yeah, if it was me, I would say if we're giving you a bailout and you're in trouble, we're yeah. we're taking stock in your company. But that that that's a problem also in Finland because there is no easy way to actually hand out this kind of money to companies that actually need it. Because I think it probably has to do with the fact that there's been the right wing right wing government for so long. So they yeah. there is only ways to give money to innovation and like this kind of new well yeah basically innovation and there's nothing this kind of socially more just yes possibilities you need to actually change the fucking law to do it yeah it actually reminds me of also this fortum when they oh, were yes. buying uniper and the vvo was giving vvf was giving them like uh, this kind of because they're one of the stockholders they bought some stocks and said like okay we want to we, we hand hand you out this kind of uh, uh plan yeah. that you you can take and incorporate it in your politics yeah and they basically it ended up going you know it said a lot of things but one of was like okay this 1.5 percent warming you have to you know you have to take that seriously and they were like nah And the reason why they said it was because Fortum is a company that needs to make money for their, you know, you know stakeholders. Yeah, yeah stockholders. Yeah, and stock price or share price. Yes, yeah, exactly. And to actually, in, to take this in these ideas that the WWF was giving them was they said that we need to change the whole company. Then it would need to be this kind of. Uh, What is that in, in English? Right. That it means that, that it's like... It's actually not even nationalized. It's, it just means that you can't actually make more profit and hand it out. You actually have yeah. to make... If you make profit, you have to use it somehow, give it to charity or, you know, whatever. Yeah. This actually exists in Finland. There's a lot of companies that actually are like this. For example, Planty, which is making old drinks and stuff like that. Yeah. But in my opinion, if you're bailing out a company, In other words, they're in yeah. financial dire straits and you're bailing them out to keep them alive and keep them yeah. paying their staff. If they have taken dividends or are about to take dividends, it should either be nationalized or a massive percentage of their stock should be given to government um, yeah. in return for this loan that's not going to be paid back because yeah. they're literally giving them a, it's like a grant. Here you go. Exactly, exactly. Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen, who's going to repay all of that big money? It's going to be done through austerity and nurses yeah, are going exactly. to have their salaries cut and teachers <laughs> are going to have their salaries cut so we can yeah. pay for this, that this company got bailed out. No, 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 no. So that's why it's we, all wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's like we've tried that. It doesn't work. We yeah. need a, a different plan. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Uh, maybe we're good. Yeah. Okay, that's our first episode of Leftovers. I hope uh, everybody listening, and of course, if you are and you're seeing this on YouTube or you're listening to it on a podcast, share it with somebody. Uh, hopefully, we've given you a little bit of insight. Um, it was fantastic talking to Brees. Um, I want to thank him again for joining us. Um, we've got more guests lined up for our next uh, next week's episode um, and more to come in the future. This is just the beginning of many. Um, so thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks. All right, cheers.